Parshas Vayikro. This class is in memory of, of Jared Orchem, and we are going to start a new book, the third book of, from the five books of Moses, the book of Leviticus. Always start number, number page two, the beginning of the beginnings, right? Page two is because it's a continuation of the story, basically. You never start at the beginning. Uh, is that the, the idea behind it? A, a page two means that page one is first the believing God. Only when you have the right attitude, then you start page two. It's like starting the Torah with the letter with bed. A, with the letter bed instead of the letter Aleph. Yes, you're talking about the beginning. The begin. Oh, the new book. The, this, part, this book is the book of sacrifices. It's called, in, in, in the Medrash, Sefer HaKorbanot, the book of, the, of sacrifices. Then we will talk a little bit about the offerings that are taking place during this book and what they represent and how we do it today. Was this given to Moses on Sinai or was this given to Moses later? It was given to Moses probably on Sinai. I mean, when God told them that we'll be a build a temple, He told them that on Sinai, right? Yeah. But He told mm -hmm. them obviously to offer sacrifices. That Moses, when when they built the temple, they started to offer sacrifices right away. Obviously, it was given on Sinai, right? They went down, they came down, and He started to build the temple, and and the beginning of the month of Nisan was the was the celebration, the inauguration of the temple. They started to offer sacrifices. Then, when they started it, they needed to know what's going to be done. Obviously, it was given on Sinai, yes. I guess he could have got it in the tent of meeting, you know, before they started the sacrifices, I guess is my question. I mean, maybe it was the more details, but everything is from Sinai. If it was actually given, the whole Torah was given in Sinai in, in code, in, 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 in a general meaning, you understand what I'm saying? Then I'm sure that if the details were given um, five minutes early or five minutes later doesn't really make much, much of a difference. It's considered, everything is considered from Sinai. Then it starts with voluntary offering. Let's start from the beginning. Let's, we'll, go, we'll get into it. He called to Moshe affectionately. God spoke to him alone from within the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When a man from among you brings a voluntary offering to God, you should bring your offering from a domesticated animals, from cattle which has not been worshipped as an idol, or from flocks which have not been set aside for pagan worship, and from those which have not killed people. Now he speaks about the burnt offering from cattle. Somebody wants to bring an offering to God, just he loves God, he wants to get closer to God, he brings the offering, and he can afford it, but he should bring a cattle. Why it's called a burnt, burnt offering? Turn things cooked and you don't eat any portion of it. Because all of the animal, after it was slaughtered, was offered on the altar. That's what, um, okay, let's start to read. You, they used to go ahead. If his offering is a burnt offering taken from cattle, he should bring a perfect unblemished male animal. Okay, that's one. Um, we will skip because it goes more into details. We'll go to page seven. Any reason why it has to be a male as opposed to a female? I think it's considered more, more, uh, especially, I mean, animals considered more, more important, probably. A male, a male animal costs more than a female animal because it can do more work. Then the idea is to bring the best to God. That if the idea is to bring the best to God, that should be a male, a male uh, and the most expensive one. You understand? Mm -hmm. A male a cattle is more expensive than a female cattle, probably. The second one was a burnt offering from sheep and goat. What does this mean? If somebody cannot afford a cattle, then the Torah says this was a type of a sacrifice that you bring what you can afford. If you cannot afford the best, the Cadillac, then you bring something less. The burnt offering from sheep and goat. Go ahead. And if this is brought from the flocks, from sheep or from goats, as a burnt offering, he should offer a perfect unblemished male animal. Okay. We will continue to skip. <laughs> if a person cannot afford even not a sheep or a goat, 
And God gives them a third, a third option. What's the third option? In his offering to God. One second, the burnt offering from birds. Yeah. He can bring a bird to the temple. And that's much cheaper, right? Okay, go ahead. Sorry. If his offering to God is a burnt offering from birds, he should bring it from nature. Mature turtle doves or from young doves. Turtle doves or young doves, they were the only offering you can bring as a bird to the temple. And that's again what you uh, what with it was somebody who cannot afford it, or, or poor um, people who want to bring something. They also had a, a, had an option to do it. Well, here's the question though. Here, I mean, I know it's a Rashi thing, but it's saying mature, and then the other one is a clause for a young. Young would probably not. I be mature. cannot answer your discussion. I don't okay. know. <laughs> okay. The next uh, level on page eleven is the unbaked meal offering. If somebody cannot even afford a bird, but she we want, he or she wants to bring an offering to God, what should they do? God says you can bring a little bit of flour and will be also accepted in the eyes of God. Here it's written, you want to read? Um, yeah, in top of the page, 11. Top, top. Okay. If a poor soul vows to bring a meal offering to God without specifying which type of meal offering he wishes to bring, his offering should be of unbaked fine wheat flour. Okay, we'll stop right here. The language that the Torah is using here is if a soul brings an offering. Before it was, if a person brings an offering. Here the expression is, if a soul brings an offering. Why the Torah changes from a person to soul? Rashi is asking this question. You see the word if a soul? If the nefesh. Before it's written, Odom Kiakriv, Amen. Or this kind of expressions. Here it's written, the nefesh. Rashi in the bottom, the classic question, a number 10 in the bottom. Why does the Torah state, go ahead. Why does the Torah state that a soul brings a meal offering. That the soul brings a meal offering. Why not the person? Rashi. Rashi reg regarding all voluntary offerings, the only instance where scripture states the word soul is in the case of the meal offering, who usually donates a meal offering, a poor man. God says, I consider it as if he has sanctified his very soul. You see, when somebody yeah. comes with an expensive donation to the temple, he feels that God owes him one. <coughs> he, gave, he gave a cattle to the temple. Oh, it comes like this. A person who cannot even offer a bird, he brings a little bit of flour. He knows that it's not much to know he offers, that he comes with a broken heart, with a humble heart. He comes with his soul. God says, I, I see the soul. I don't need the food. I need the soul of you. And by the poor man, there is more soul is being offered to God than by the rich man. That's why God considered that like a like he sacrificed his soul, like he gave his soul away. And now we'll read on page 11, the last word. The last word. The poor man's offering. Unlike a wealthy person who is able to give voluntarily offerings at the temple from expensive animals and birds, the poor man is only able to offer flour. Nevertheless, the Torah attributes more significance to the poor man's offering, as Rashi writes. I consider it as if he had sacrificed his very soul. This is because the wealthy man's offering is inevitably connected with a certain amount of self-satisfaction at the thought of bringing one of the most expensive and impressive sacrifices. The poor man, however, could not possibly be proud of his meager offering, so his is the most genuine offering of all, dedicated to God in this feelings of humility. Thus to him, God says, it is as, as he had sacrificed his very soul. The Talmud tells us, was once a king, I think it was Agrippas the king, I think. He was, it was the day he became a king, he decided to offer, he reserved the temple for himself, the altar for himself. He told the high priest, I'm going to bring a thousand animals, and nobody else should offer any sacrifices. Fine. Shows up a poor man, 
and he wants to offer his little bird dove. That the king, that the high priest tells him, the king told him, gave me an order that I cannot offer any other sacrifices. It's reserved for him. Today is closed for service for for the public, only for the king. I told him, what are you doing to me? Every day I catch two birds. One I bring for I slaughter for my family to eat. The other one I bring to the temple. If you don't have for me, you're killing me. That the the high priest, the priest had had mercy, felt bad, and he offered it. That night, the king was sleeping. He had in his dream, they told him, he heard a say, statement says, this offering of this poor man, this one bird, was more loved by God than your thousand animals. He wakes up in the morning, calls the high priest, and tells him, what was going on yesterday? Didn't we make up a deal that nobody's offering? He told him the story. That this guy came, and he wanted, and I said, I felt bad for him. That the king said, you did the right thing. He was a humble king. But the Talmud tells us, and there is a few stories like this, that the offering of a poor man that comes with his soul is, is more accepted by God than some arrogant guy who is showing up with his most expensive animal. It's all how much of you, because the word korbanot comes in the word karov, to get closer. To get closer, the whole idea of offering is us getting closer to God. God doesn't need the animal. The animal is only being used as a tool to awakening the person to get closer to God. Now, since the temple is destroyed, what do you do today instead of sacrifices? Prayer. Prayer. We have three prayers a day, right? The morning prayer is called, I call the morning prayer in Hebrew. Shacharit. Shacharit. Shacharit means morning. Shachar. Shachar comes to the word morning. Then the night service is called Ma'ariv. Arvit. Erev. From the word Erev. Erev means evening. And then there is one more service in the middle of the day. What is this called? Mincha. What is Mincha? Can anybody translate the word Mincha? Like midday or afternoon? I wish. It's not. It's supposed to be the most beloved service by God. Why it's called Mincha? What Mincha means? Mincha? 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 Everybody's going to need a minion? Mincha? A center for Mincha? The tenth person is looking for Mincha? A whole day just running around and having Mincha. What's Mincha? What, it shouldn't be afternoon service would be Ben Arbaim, Achar Atzoraim, something about the afternoon like you thought. It was afternoon. Then some commentaries say Mincha comes in the word Menucha. Menucha means siesta, after uh, resting, like the siesta. Again, taking afternoon nap. Now in Israel, between 2 to 4, the stores are closed. Everybody goes to sleep. Not in America. In America, people walk. But in Israel, where people are not so rushed to walk so hard, they take a nap in South America and so on. That's menucha. But that's not the real meaning of the word. Mincha, look on page 10 in top. The fifth word in Hebrew. Yeah. See the word mincha? Mm-hmm. A nefesh and a soul that will bring an offering, a korban offering of mincha Hashem. What's mincha? It's a meal offering. Mincha means a present. Who is the word mincha as a present? In the first book, in the book of um, um, Genesis who sent a mincha to whom? Uh, Esau Jacob to Esau right? why is mincha called mincha? a present here first of all which sacrifice is called a, a present to God all the other sacrifices are not didn't get the name, the name mincha a present this offering got the name a present to God. Not just a sacrifice, it's a present. Then here, it's understood because it's the poor man's sacrifice. Because this guy brings the little bit of flour that he has at home, and instead of baking bread for it for himself, he brings it to God. God considered it like a gift, much more than the other ones. The same thing is with prayers. The prayer in the morning, 
is very, it's before you start the day. It's much easier to start the day. It's, it's easier to pray because you, you didn't start the day yet. Your day is not crazy. You don't. You turn to God, you pray. At the evening, again, your day, day is over. You come home, you relax, drink a cup of coffee, you're done. But Mincha, when is Mincha in the winter? In the middle of the day. You're in the middle of a meeting. Three phone calls. Two people waiting outside. The place is burning. It's a fire. That's Mincha. I have to daven. Now, sometimes people in Israel, the house are different. Family members call me. It's like the middle of the day here. And they, by them it's evening. How are you? How are you? I didn't eat breakfast yet. How are you? <laughs> There is a story about a Hasidic Jew in Minnesota, Chabad Rabbi. His name is Rabbi Moshe Feller. He came to Minnesota 50 years ago. He was a young man. He started his rounds, and he wanted to get an appointment with a young scientist in NASA, a very famous scientist at that time. His name was Green, Velvul Green. That was his name. He knew that he was Jewish by his name, anyone? But it was very secular. Took him my ear until he got the appointment. A year. Finally, he gets in. He starts to talk to them. In the middle of the appointment, he tells them, hey, one second, one second. He gets up, starts to dive. It was Mincha time. Was <laughs> he saw in the window, he remembered he did have This man was sitting there. He was so upset. He didn't, first of all, he didn't, know, he didn't know he's allowed to move. He's allowed to stand up. He's allowed to sit down. He's allowed to go. Didn't want the Saba is praying, he didn't know what's the what's the protocol. He says he's giving he wants for me my my time and now he's driving me. I'm done, I'm throwing him out from the that's it, goodbye. You you lost your time. I don't have time for it, I have another appointment. This guy's praying, and then he's praying like his mind started to think. He started to realize that there is something more important than appointments. And an appointment with God is more important than an appointment with, with, with people. And that was a turning point in this scientist's life. And he started a journey towards Judaism. That came to New York, he came to the Rebbe. The first time he came to the Rebbe, so everybody's going with hats. Decided he's going to buy a hat, but we're at 9 o'clock at night, he's going to find a hat. <laughs> and they took him to Mrs. Kazen's mother. Used to, he used to have like a Shmate store in Iraos, like a, he comes, says, I need a head. She takes out from him something. And he puts it on his head. Says, See, she tells him 50 cents. Oh, such a deal he cannot get anywhere. But he had no, he couldn't find every, all the stores are closed. He comes, he walks into the Rebbe's office. <laughs> the Rebbe gives one look of him. The Rebbe takes out a, a nice keeper from his head. No, he tells him, put it on. He says, Rebbe, I want to be like everybody. Everybody has a head. A head on his, on his head. The Rebbe told him, as long as you wear this thing, I cannot talk with you any serious thing. <laughs> <laughs> that was his first appointment to the Rebbe. <laughs> then he, he had a journey. Was a, he, and, and he ended, his children, he passed away a few years ago in Israel. He made Aliyah to Israel. He, made, he returned to Yiddishkeit completely. His children are Chabad rabbis in Minnesota and other places. Mm. He was a NASA engineer? Yes. Then all started from a Mincha service. The Mincha service was, because it's in the middle of the day, it's the hardest thing. Then God says, the service that's the hardest, that's the Mincha, that's a gift to me. It's a poor Mincha. It's a poor service, compared to the morning service. Morning service is down and down and down for 40 minutes. Even shorter than the evening service, the Mariv, right? Mariv is only, Mariv you say the Shema. In Mincha you don't even say the Shema, just the Amida, Asher in the Amida. It's a poor, it's a poor sacrifice, just a little bit of flour. But it's beloved by God more because the nefesh, the soul is invested there. You have to stop everything. It's a huge commitment. And every day it's again. Every day all world has to stop and you have to die Mincha. This idea is not only in, in the day, but in life. The previous Lubavitcher Rebbe wrote about that. He wrote like this. He says, 
children go to school and learn Torah, fine, but it's not the biggest achievement. They don't have any, they don't have to support the family, they don't have any other worries. The parents enter to school, they don't have a choice, they go to learn Torah. Then there is people, retirees, the millionaires who come to shul, when they retire already, they don't have much work, they don't have what to do, why not they come to shul? That's the evening service, that's the night. But the mincha service of people in the prime time of their life stop everything and still engage in Jewish activities, still do, still make a set up time to learn Torah and to, and to attend services, even that they have a thousand things to do and the kids pull them in 25 directions. He, she has dancing uh, classes and he's sports and he's this and that. He's all over the place. And he leaves everything and he, understand that he gives time to, has to give time to God, that's Mincha. That's a gift to God. That's what Mincha service in their life is. And that's why it's called Mincha. It's a present to God. It's any particular time or it's the same time every day? It's every day f from after midday until sunset. Doesn't matter, one o'clock, two o'clock? One o'clock, anytime. There's a yeah, there is, I mean, basically from around one until sunset. Are you referring to, to this story, um, uh, uh, a minion for Mincha, or just if you do it yourself? Any Mincha, any, even you do it for yourself. Sure. So, so here's the thing. The meal offering was unleavened, because it's like, mm -hmm. the, it's bittal. Also, that same mm -hmm. kind of concept. You're right. So when we go to have matzah for Passover, mm -hmm. it's, it's special wheat that's been laid aside. Is it from this same wheat that they would, um, I mean, oh, sir, it, I mean they, they, they'd be so careful? That yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I cannot tell you an answer. Because it shouldn't have be chomets. It cannot be chomets. The question is that, the, yeah, that, that, you know, the temple was Pesachdik. The temple did not have bread, chomets bread. Only one seir and shivuos yeah. used to bring chomets. But that's a whole different story. That's but one the, thing. The flour, as long as it's kept dry, it's not going to... Yeah, but that, that, that same concept for uh, for Pesach is that you can't just use that flour because it could have started something. So they, they, it's um, very special. Then now today, the, the, so far we learned about the burned offering, right? The burned offering is, how we replace it today, the burned offering? Prayers. Now, what's a burned offering? I don't have any part. Nobody benefits on the offering. It's all put on the, on the altar. What does this mean in prayer? In prayer it means that you, the question is, and you pray, come to pray in the synagogue, why you pray? What are you praying for? Do you pray yeah. for? My wife always says uh, I should be praying to be nicer. You're, you're praying for, you're pray, a lot of serious. Or your wife is always praying for you, trust me. Yeah. <laughs> you're praying to be nicer, you cannot pray to be nicer, you have to be nicer. <laughs> Prayers will not help. You're praying, you're, you're praying <laughs> amongst others. There is everything can, can prayer help, but not for your own spiritual sta uh, state. Yirat Shomayim, for the fear of, it's written, the state, the Talmud says, everything is in the end of heaven beside you, the fear of heaven. Basically, it's, uh, these things you cannot pray for, this we have to do. <laughs> But uh, you're asking for your work conditions. You're asking for. Uh, then the question is like this: Some people pray for their needs. Yeah. They come to God, they come to temple. God, I need a car. I need health. I need this. I need this. That's one level of prayer. But how many? How long time? How many? How many times can you ask for the same thing? And how long it takes? It takes two minutes. God, here is my list, and I'm I'm running. I have to I have to actually make it happen. But the real meaning of prayer is, is to think about God is to come to temple, to synagogue, or in your house, to spend time with Hashem. You know, when you take out your child for lunch, you are not there to ask them anything. You don't, you don't have an agenda. The agenda is to spend time with your child. Your child spends time with you, he might have an agenda. He wants money, he wants this, he wants that. But the parent, for sure, does not have any any other intention, he enjoys to spend time with his family member, your wife, your child, whatever it is. The same thing is when you come to, to, to the prayers. You come to pray to God just because you want to spend time with Hashem. You want to be there. What could be a better, a better gift to yourself? Treat yourself to an appointment with God. 
If somebody would tell you, can I have an appointment with this great, great leader? You would say, oh, I don't have time. I have to go to work. Would be the biggest gift you can. They, they, they raffle out a, a lunch with, with, with uh, Bill Gates. It was one in big fundraisers. You're not going to get anything. A lunch. You can buy your own lunch, right? But just to be in the presence of this great person, people are ready to do everything. Being in the presence of God, you have an appointment, you have an opportunity to be in the presence of God. That has to be about God. A burnt offering means a service that is about God. All about God. It's not about, nothing is for you. I'm here to, I'm, God, I'm here just to be with you. Not for my own need, not for my own agenda, nothing. I just want to be with you. That's, that's what it's all about. That's the burnt offering. So far we know about the burnt offering. Now we're going to learn about the other offerings that used to bring to the temple. Maybe later we'll go back, but at this point we we'll go to the page 15. It talks about the peace offering. If his offering is a peace offering, then if he brings it from cattle, he should bring a perfect unblemished male or female animal before God. He should lean his hands on the head of his Okay, what is a, why it's called a peace offering? What's a peace? Making peace, right? You know why it's called a peace offering, what Rashi says? Because it brings peace between the Jews the coins and God. What does this mean? A peace offering, it means to be, you bring a sacrifice to the temple. This time, a small part of it is being offered on the, on the altar. The, based in the other parts that could be eaten, part of it is given to the coins, and part of it, the family itself eats it in Jerusalem. And they used to sit down and make a big party and have fun and invite guests. When you brought a peace offering, for example, the Toda offering was a peace offering. The Toda means thanking God. Let's say you had a miracle that took place, happened to you. You say you were saved from a car accident. You want to thank Hashem. You used to bring, come to the temple, bring an offering. They would slaughter it. Small part would be burned on the altar. Then the coins would get a piece, their piece. And then the family would invite people in Jerusalem poor, or family, friends, and they would make a real, a real, uh, uh, what, what, how they do it, um, a, a real party, like uh, a real picnic. That was, that was the peace offering. So there, are, there are other translations that call it a Thanksgiving offering. Thanksgiving offering is a mm -hmm. peace offering, yeah. that's what mm -hmm. I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Thanks, it's one of the peace offerings that, for example, they used to bring in the temple on, on the holidays, on Pesach, Sukkot, Shavuot, and Sukkot, together we, you, you had to bring a peace offering. When you came to Hashem, you had to bring an offering, you couldn't come empty-handed. That was a peace offering. You understand? Then uh, um, I think also the Pesach offering is a peace offering, considered a peace offering. The Passover lamb, you eat it, that's a peace offering. You know why it's called a peace offering? Because everybody gets a peace. <laughs> everybody is happy. How, how could one animal feed? No, no, not all the coins. How many coins were offering? They taking care of your animal. A few coins, and you give them a peace. You need to understand how many coins were in the temple at the same time. There were twenty-four groups. 24 um, groups of coins who were serving in the temple. Now, every group used to serve for a week. Then 24 groups in, in, a, in a year, it's twice a year for a week. Within this, you will, let's say, 200 coins, 300 coins, 400 coins, we don't need all of them. That every day was another group. Then a regular coin in a good mood was serving in the temple twice a year for a day. That that day he got a piece. So how did how did he eat the rest of the year? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> ice cream. The ice cream, exactly. They were Chinese. <laughs> the, this is there were many many other types of presents of gift that every Jew had to give to the coin. For example, 
Truma, he had to give from his from his produce, the first produce who had to give we given away to the coin, I think two percent or something like this. That the first one to get any from everything, from chale, the word chale comes from giving giving a piece of dough or a piece of the bread to the coin. Chale means a piece. Give a piece of your of your of the of your chale to the coin. Then this peace offering, everybody was happy. It was a celebration in Jerusalem today that we don't have sacrifices. What we should we do instead for a peace offering? Tzedakah. No. I make everybody happy. Do a kiddush? You do a kiddush. Exactly. In, in, in Aloch, it's called Seudat Oda'a. A meal of thanksgiving. Today, there are people who survived the Holocaust, they make every year a meal of thanksgiving. They celebrate the day, they invite a family and friend, and people come and have a meal and celebrate together. What's a bar mitzvah? Bar mitzvah, one of the, one of the meanings of a bar mitzvah is a seudah todah. It's a thanksgiving that my child is, is turning 13. Then that's exactly what a kiddish is in shul, yes. You throw a kiddish and everybody gets a piece, Everybody is happy, and that's how you thank God. Just like in the temple, they used to offer sacrifices and make a part in Jerusalem. That's where today in our world is the is the peace offering. Then after the peace offering, I, one more thing about the peace offering. Is this, yes, I just remember hearing that that when Mashiach comes, the peace offering or will be the offering. I know. Yeah, Korban Toido. Yeah, there is such a thing that the Thanksgiving offering will always stay. Only not the peace offering, the Thanksgiving offering. Okay. It means to say, we'll always be have to thank Hashem. That's the idea. This will never go away, so to speak. So Thanksgiving in America came from Torah? Um, <laughs> it's a good question, but it's a good thing, Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. It probably came from the Torah. Mm -hmm. They say it? It's yeah, well, from Sukkot, actually. Yeah. yeah. yeah from but yeah. no, but she means is it comes from the idea of thanking Hashem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Thanksgiving is a good thing. You thank Hashem, yes. And they have an offering. What they do? They take the turkey and everybody celebrates and everybody is happy. Mm -hmm. I always say that in America there are three Jewish holidays. Pesach, Rosh Hashanah, and Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> and Thanksgiving is the most happiest. You don't have to go to shul, no services, no nothing. The family comes together. Not long ago, somebody once told me, oh, we had Thanksgiving, and then my family came and we celebrated Hanukkah, she tells me. <laughs> I told her, we gave gift. I said, that's great. Next time you should throw a few matzahs on the table, you'll serve yourself a seder. Slapping <laughs> <laughs> the whole family again. It's too, it's too expensive. Just do it and be done. Yeah, that's what it was this year. Right? This year it was thinking yeah, about it was a few years ago. She told me that. Oh my God. That's the peace offering. Then now we're going to page 17 for another type of offering. In the middle of page 17, there is the sin offering. Mm. Go ahead. God spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, When a person sins unintentionally, transgressing any of God's commandments, which he would be prohibited with the punishment of soul excision for an intentional transgression, or if he even does a portion of one of these sins, he must bring a sin offering. Uh-huh. Then, okay, if somebody sinned by mistakes, by accident, he forgot to pay more back. He took a little more. Eh, it was not intentionally. It was just from the things that it happened. But then it goes on. He starts to think about that, and he wants to repent. Just when he has to, when it's, it's between people, but one person and another, he has to pay back. Then he can bring an offering. And also, here it's, or it's a mistake that he made between man and God. He forgot to do some mitzvahs. Or, or he did something wrong. Then, what, then uh, what, how, what was the rules about the, the sin offering? Uh, how much of it went? Who, who was enjoying the sin offering? Who was what? Enjoying? Who enjoyed the sin offering? <laughs> who the got sin, from himself? Got to eat part of it? Huh? The sinner himself got to eat part of the, it. Right? The sinner himself didn't get nothing. That's what I want to say. But you don't get reward for sinning. <laughs> oh, he's going to have a party too on top of it. Not enough is sin to bring him. 
But first of all, you can imagine somebody comes to the temple, shows up in the temple in Jerusalem. No, everybody knows him, a very important person in his community. He's the rabbi, the head of the federation, you know. He shows up in, in, in Jerusalem. Oh, Rabbi Yankel, Shalom Aleichem, how are you? Mm-hmm. Oh, you came, probably came to bring an offering, you had a miracle? What happened? What a, oh, a miracle happened? A child was born. What, why are you bringing them? He says, no. Why? Oh, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Because the next friend, the next friend, the next friend, until he makes it at the Temple Mount. He regretted so badly that he will never do it again. He, he didn't, nobody asked him what, and he didn't tell anybody what happened. But everybody said, oh, you heard he's here in town, and not exactly for a miracle. <laughs> I, thought they, I thought maybe the priest mixed it in, the good and the bad. The, the the priest mixed in the good and yeah all the all the sacrifice all the off people of the offering good point yeah all the offerings came together it wasn't a line for the sin offering a line for this not to embarrass the people who sin us but when you as an individual you show up in Jerusalem <laughs> and you meet your friends you come every year three times a year come Pesach and Shuas and Sukkot you show up every year and everybody loves you and you're a generous person and you come and you offer donations and everybody in Jerusalem is your friend. And then you show up in the middle of a mitvah, in the middle of uh, middle of March, in a cold, freezing day. What is he doing in Jerusalem now? Oh, he probably had a big miracle, and Hashem helped him. He's coming to say thank you. Nah, he doesn't want to lie, but he's nothing to say. You know, what do to say? So, no, yeah. well, yeah. theoretically, we all sin every day. I mean, so you could bring offerings every day if you wanted to. Obviously, it was a little more than what you do every day. <laughs> Now the sin offering, the coin gets a piece, and God gets a piece. You get nothing. Now what is, what is this today? How we do it today? Uh, repentance today, isn't it? Repentance is not the offering. What do you offer? Your, of yourself. What do you offer? It's I'm sorry. It's not enough. Even when you brought offering, you still had to say, I'm sorry. Then there was, I'm sorry, was repenting and bringing an offering. You're right. The offering is not a substitute for you, for you, for, for you, for, for uh, repenting and regretting for your sin. That's in addition. Then what's today could be offering? Sirakka. Oh, then there are two things. One thing people, it's written in Talmud and in Kabbalah and is a fasting. People fast as a way to atone for the sins. Fasting is you offering your 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 fat. Your fat. You're losing fat, right? You're offering a piece of yourself. And it's very nice and it's considered an offering. But you know what the problem with this is? It doesn't look it's not compared to the sin offering. You give something for God, but you don't give anything for the coin. What's the coin that's from your fast from your fasting? Can anybody benefit from your fasting? You're just grumpy and crazy and nobody wants to be around you. And you're getting even worse than a regular day. Why is it why is the coin coin involved? Whatever if, if the, not, not not a coin. Somebody else. Only God gets something here. But nobody else benefits from your from your repenting, from your fasting. But Stocker the prophet tells us, your sin you redeem with charity. Charity is the substitute for a sin offering. What's charity? I give the poor. I don't benefit from it. From a kiddish, I also benefit from it. I also eat. Prayers is only for God. Where is the sin offering? Charity. Charity is I give the other person, but I get nothing. I get nothing. That in, the, in this offering, there is exactly the replacement for the, for, for the sin offering. Some people are also fasting, but Hasidus does not promote fasting. Hasidus doesn't believe in fasting today. What, don't get me wrong, whatever the fast day that need, they are by Jewish law, you have to fast. Yom Kippur and Tishabov and the fast of faster that's come up in these next two weeks and all the other five days of fasting during the year, that's an obligation, that's no chokmas. But Chesedah says, don't take upon yourself other festivals. Because we are too weak 
And we, what happens when we fast, we learn less, we daven less, we do less mitzvahs, we are not nice to our wives and to our families. Then what do you accomplish with fasting? What is this good in doing? God doesn't need just a day of fasting that you lay grumpy in bed and do nothing with it. Better take care of your body, take care of your, of your, of your health, and serve Hashem. Then, in our generations, the Hasidic philosophy in the Tanya, it's written in there is a whole thing in Igeres, a tshuva, a special section there that speaks about how to do, how to repent, how to do tshuva. That they, they say that it should not, a person in our generation should not fast, because the fast just affects his health, and he serves less God. Not only doesn't serve God more, he doesn't serve them less. What should you do instead? You should give charity. Charity, what is charity? Let's say what you do is like this. Let's say you, uh, it, uh, well, how much you eat a, a day, money-wise. How much cost you three meals? <laughs> and you, this amount of money you give for charity. In this way, you replace the, the first day for charity. Then, what if you... What will be if you don't have strength enough to fast? And you don't have enough money to give charity? What are you going to do? That I teach her and Yeshiva used to stop and said, if you cannot afford it, don't sin. <laughs> you need to be able to afford it. If you, fa if you fast, then it means to say, but this is that we have here the three main offerings that used to be in the temple. The Ola, the burnt offering. The Shlomim, the peace offering. And the Chatos, the sin offering. These three are replaced today, every placement today. Prayers, a Kiddush, a celebration, and charity. These are the sacrifices of today. Now, what's the whole idea of sacrifices? A sacrifice doesn't come instead of you changing your ways. You cannot, we cannot steal and then bring a sacrifice. It doesn't work like this. You're not allowed to bring any sacrifice from, that were from the stone. It's, it's, it's an abomination in the eyes of God. A sacrifice is after you repent, after you corrected your ways. It's like the example that the Medrash brings is when a person had a relationship with the king. And then he, let's say, he sinned to the king, he didn't listen to the king, and the king got very upset of him. Then first of all, he's going and he's, repent, he's fixing it, but he did the mistake that he made, then he's asking for forgiveness and everything. But then he feels still the relationship with the king is not the same. It's not what it used to be. Then what is he doing? He goes out and he's buying a gift to the king. He brings him flowers. He brings him a gift. He should love him. He should restore the relationship with the king just as much as it was before. That's what a sacrifice is. That's what the offerings are. There is, the, if a person did something wrong, if it's between man and man, he has to go back and, and apologize to the person that he hurt. No sacrifice will open. No offerings will open. And then after he made, he, he apologized and he, he made it, he fixed it, if he took money and so on, then he can bring an offering to Hashem, to, appoint, to, to please Hashem, that Hashem should, he should have it in the same relationship like he had before. Back in the time of the, the sacrificial system, again, unless you're living in the immediate vicinity in Jerusalem, I mean, you certainly can't do it on a daily basis. You bet you cannot <laughs> do it on a daily basis. So how, how did, the, did this... Is there anything that says that, you know, how often you have to bring the sacrifices? People could push the sofa the holiday so they come anyway, and then they offer the sacrifices. I mean, a person couldn't go every day, couldn't afford to. I mean, the question is how many sins he had. I mean, <laughs> maybe because you cannot afford it, you don't sin so much. You know what I mean, it's like... Well, did did you I, have to have one animal for every sin? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what about, he couldn't pull all the all the seeds and one he would, he would just wait till after the festival. <laughs> <laughs> well, we talked about. It's a good question. Once. I don't know exactly how it worked. No, I, I I remember you saying something about the fact that you know there were so many Jews, you know, a million Jews, whatever, and you know how would they, how would you be able to sacrifice for these people? How would you be able to do that? In the practical sense, not too many people came to the temple. How many people could come to Jerusalem on a, on a Pesach? How much place is there in Jerusalem? 
Well, apparently, according to some accounts, there were a million people or more. No, no, yeah, they, it time. was supposedly the miraculous because the space would... How many people can come to Jerusalem in right. one day and have a chance to offer sacrifices? Was one altar, right? Yeah, you can't have that many sacrifices. One altar, that's it. But that's not the How many people can do it? How many people need it? A couple thousand, maybe? How many people need it? A couple thousand? No, I don't no. think so. But how many of people sacrifices? Need it? Uh -huh. No. But how many people needed to do it and couldn't do it? That's what I'm saying. I don't know. I, I believe that everybody in Jerusalem had a chance to be a part of the sacrifice. Now look at the city of Jerusalem. How big is it? Today? I mean, the old city. How big is it? How big was it? Then what I mean to say is it's written that was a, was once a king, he wanted to know how many uh, people came to Jerusalem. He told the Kohen he should take a kidney from every sacrifice. <laughs> and it was 600,000 kidneys, something like this. Um, it's more a number to say that it was a lot, but it wasn't 600,000, obviously, because he couldn't offer 600,000 sacrifices on the temple and on the altar in one day. You understand what I'm saying? Then what I mean to say is, People came to the temple. We need to understand it from their practical point of view, the first temple, right after King, Day, King Solomon built the temple, right? Right after King Solomon, who came? His son, Rehavon, right? And then the, the kingdom of Israel was divided into two kingdoms, right? Who was the other king? Jeroboam. Jeroboam ben Avot, Jeroboam. Jeroboam was, well, what he did? He put, put boundaries, yeah. uh, border. He bordered the way to Jerusalem. Oh, Nobody can go to Jerusalem. Oh, yes. Ten tribes out of twelve tribes couldn't go to Jerusalem. Instead, he established two golden calves, two big idol centers, in other places in Ber where it was those in Dan, in two places, and he organized, he forced everybody to go worship them. Because he didn't want to go to Jerusalem, the people should go to Jerusalem. They go to Jerusalem, they, they support the economy, you bring sacrifices, you have a party, you come there, you spend money, tourism, it's money. If you don't go to Jerusalem, then he closed the, the walls, the ways to Jerusalem. Anybody who was caught going to Jerusalem would be in jail or maybe even killed. You were not, he put police in Adela. That was, that was the most uh, strong borders between Jews and Jews. That in reality, most of the Jewish people, and you know when the borders were taken off? By the end of the first temple, the last king that in his of the ten tribes, when the ten tribes were exiled, in the time of the last king of the ten tribes, then the walls were taken off. He was the one, what was his name? I forgot his name. What, uh, what the, who is the name of the king who re re removed the walls for the, upon the, on the way to Jerusalem. That means throughout for 300 years that the temple, the temple stood for 410. But for over 300 years that the 10 tribes were in Israel, they never had a chance to go to Jerusalem. That all, who came to Jerusalem? Two, two tribes. You understand? That from a practical point of view, not too many people anyway could, could add, add access to Jerusalem to begin with. But whoever came to Jerusalem, that was the system. That's how the sacrifices work. Sorry, on, on Passover itself, and they had to uh, sacrifice all these lambs in the afternoon for every family to have a, a yes, lamb. Yes, I mean, yes, yes. How many tens of thousands of, of lambs were done in one afternoon? I mean, that was... That's, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, that's what I, was, I was thinking to myself. How many people in one afternoon? From early afternoon, you say... I mean, let's say one o'clock until five o'clock, five thirty. That's a, that's the sunset in Jerusalem. How many? They used to say three groups used to come into the temple. In the, how many offerings could be done, even if you do it in the most efficient and fast way, in the most in, uh, close to impossible? It's human beings are limited, right? The world is limited. We are not. If there is even with miracles, it has to be, it has to, you have to, to slaughter it, you have to offer it, you have to burn it. I mean, it takes time. That even if it was a very, very efficient machine, it still was a limited amount of people. And not, in it, and not every person to offer a sacrifice, it was a whole family, two families. The whole idea of a big Pesach Seder comes from the Passover lamb. Because in Egypt, Hashem said 
Yes, to slaughter the lamb and eat it the same night. Right. And eat it the same. And the Torah said it clear. If it's not enough for you, the family cannot take a whole, a whole lamb, eat a whole lamb the same night. Then you add another family and add another family. And make, from since then, it came the whole concept of a big Seder table that all Jews, Jewish, the whole family gets together because he needed enough people to be able to finish all the meat the same night. And this was, let's say even though everyone had a little a kazai, the one piece of meat, because he wanted to fulfill the mitzvah, that you can, you can, you can uh, share one uh, lamb probably for 50 people, probably, no? I don't know, I'm not amazing so much in meat, but... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <At> least. <laughs> but one thing I learned from it more than everything, no leftovers. Judaism doesn't believe right. in leftovers. You have to finish everything the same night. So by the end of first temple, it is fair to say that ten tribes disappeared. Yeah, the, the, lo the lost ten tribes yeah. are the tribes who are, were exiled from Israel. What means they lost? They are assimilated. And they were worshipping. They was because they were not religious, because they didn't go to the temple, because they were idol worshippers, it was much easier for them to assimilate into the society. And they became like everybody else. You see, the people were exiled by the end of the first temple. The Jews who went to Babylon established Judaism for 2,000 years. Yeah. Babylon became the center of Judaism with two tribes, not with ten tribes. And then the people who went to the second temple never assimilated. They went to Rome, they went to other places, they stayed Jews in Egypt, everywhere. The whole of us are remnants of the two, two, two tribes, the um, Judah and Benjamin, and the Levites, the coin of the Levites. That's what we have today. I mean, they say they made, they made a genetic testing and they saw, they discovered that there is tribes in, in Japan, in the Far East, who have, who have we have the, gene. the genes of the coins. <laughs> I believe it, but it doesn't help me. We migrated all over Europe. But it doesn't help me. Genes is not enough. It's a very nice thing, but it's not enough. We, we, we are very big in genes, but it's not enough. They have to be that they were born to a Jewish mother. It's not enough they were genes. Not to get off the subject, but the beta Jews from Ethiopia, uh, are, have they been declared to be Jews ethnically uh, or just religiously or? Now okay. they say it was a mistake. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> it's not a mistake to accept them. No, God forbid. But it's it's it was an alachic issue, alachic discussion. There was a lot of discussion to be done. It deserves a class on its own, mm -hmm. and we'll leave it alone. <laughs>